Okay, let's go back to Romans chapter 9 and, and dive back in um, to uh, this very naughty passage of Scripture. Um, uh, what I want to do is I want to start reading at verse 22, and I want to read through 24. Uh, we've pretty much already covered 22. We'll try to uh, get in 23 and 24 tonight. So let's, um, I tell you what, that's not true. Let's start at 19, because it is a paragraph, so let's do that. Let's read the whole paragraph. Starting at 19, we'll read through 24. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist, resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, uh, vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That's our text. Now, guys, uh, let me try to... um, remind you of the stuff that we looked at last week. I I finished up with verse um, 22 last week, but I really didn't give you much of an explanation about verse 23. And so I really want to pick up there as in terms of advancing our discussion of Romans 9. But there's a couple of things that you need to keep in mind. First of all, this is one sentence. The sentence begins in verse 22, and it ends at the end of 24. Verses 22... 23 and 24 are all one sentence. So what we've done is we discussed a portion of a sentence last week, which is not really the best way, but it's, it is so rich in content, you hate to rush through it too. But this is one sentence, and it is a very grammatically difficult sentence at that. And we discussed that last week, some of the grammatical differences um, that, that are found in, in the sentence. Um, you remember I used the term anakaluthon? Uh, it's a grammatical term it, um, discussing or, or describing um, the absence of grammatical sequence. And I said to you last week that he begins the sentence but doesn't finish it. So there, there are some grammatical difficulties with this one sentence which we chopped up into two weeks. So you got to keep that in mind. It's, um, it's one sentence. It's a difficult sentence, grammatically, and um, you know, somewhat difficult interpretatively. It's, but we'll, we'll come to that in just a second. But, so you got to keep that in mind. The, the other thing that you need to keep in mind is that Paul is in the midst of addressing an objection. The objection was first ra- or is raised in verse 19. What will you, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? There's the objection. So he is in the midst of addressing that. So however you understand verses 22, 23, and 24, you've got to remember that it's got to serve Paul's effort to answer the objection. Did you get that? He's... Paul, I mean, the, he's raised the objection that is in the voice, is in the mouths of his um, of his audience. He raises the objection, and then he's answering it. 
He's answering their objection. And so when you, when you get to verses 21 through 24, you understand that's what that is. It's an answer of the objection raised in verse 19. Now, that objection that's mentioned in verse 19 arose as a result of his, his statements in verse 13 where he says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. Um, look at verse 15. Um, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. As a result of Paul stating or asserting or teaching that, the objection arises. And so he is in the midst of addressing that objection. So keep that in mind. Now, as to the intent and the meaning of verses 22 and 23 at least. 24, I'm not going to spend very long on. We'll do that in a minute. But as to its intent, as to its meaning, here's what I want to suggest to you the Apostle Paul is saying. Are you ready for this now, guys? Because this is... You you understand, of course, that um, some of this we have to insert... Because Paul gives us an incomplete sentence. Okay? With that in mind, he's addressing the objection about, wait a minute, why does he still find fault? You know, who would resist his will? Then I'm, I want to suggest to you that this is what he means in verses 22 and 23. Here it is. Verse 22. The Apostle Paul is saying something like this. He says to his audience, in view of their objection... What if God um, manifested His wrath and His power to a portion of mankind? Remember the, remember the term He uses, lump, up in verse 21? And we talked about the lump being sinful humanity. What if God manifested His wrath and His power to a portion of the lump after having exercised long-suffering... And, verse 23, what if God does make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory? Now, that's where we're we're left. Here's what I'm inserting, and here I think is the punchline, and here I think is is the sentence that makes helps make sense out of all this. What if God has done this, and what if God has done that? Tell me, he says to his audience, what is your objection to that? Um, if God has manifested his wrath and his power uh, to a portion of sinful mankind, after having shown them uh, exercise long-suffering, and if he has also... Um, manifested or made known the riches of His glory of His vessel of mercy, which is perfect. What objection could you have to that? That is what is, I think, the intent of the Apostle Paul. What? Where is the injustice involved? If that's what God did, where is the injustice in that? That's, that's what Paul is doing in answering the objection because the objection is, 
Well, that's just not, that's not, that's not just of God to have, to have loved Jacob and, and hated Esau. That's not just. And Paul says, if God has chosen to manifest His power and His wrath to a portion of the sinful mankind, and if He has also chosen to manifest uh, mercy to another portion, where is the, where is the injustice in that? How can you find fault in that? Tell me what is your objection to that? And though Paul doesn't give an answer, you, you know what his answer is. There is no injustice in that. There's not a shred of injustice in it at all. Now, gang, having done that, let's, let's go back and kind of uh, pick that apart. Um, folks, Look at the text. Look at verse uh, 22. That's what we did last week. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, that that God, wanting to show His power and His wrath, has endured with much patience? And, verse 23, what if, in order to make known the riches of His glory, He is prepared, what if He wanted to show his compassion to the, this, this, the riches of his glory to others, why would that be unjust? Gang, the, the point is that everything that God does is a revelation of some, some aspect of his being or his character. Everything that God does, he's making manifest something about himself. In judgment of verse 22, he is manifesting his wrath and his power. Um, in compassion, in verse 23, he's showing forth the riches of his glory. Now, gang, that's what I'd like to spend the rest of our time on, is the riches of his glory in verse 23. That is, in showing, um, uh, in, in judgment, God is manifesting His wrath and His power, but He is manifesting something else when He shows compassion. He is manifesting the riches of His glory. Now, gang, um, that little phrase, the riches of His glory in verse 23, is the main theme of verse 23. God's primary purpose in saving anyone is to make known the riches of His glory. Now, gang, look, look at verses 22 and 23. Did you see that He... What if God desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power? Look at verse 23. In order to make known... Three times he says that what God is doing in the accomplishing salvation is that he is making known something, some things about his character and his nature. In his display and his distribution of compassion, he is making known the riches of his glory. God's major main intent in saving anybody is to display, it is to put on display, it is to make known, it is to show the riches of His glory. Gang, I, I, I suggest to you, and, and this is uh, something with which you may want to quibble, but 
I suggest to you that the salvation of a single soul is the most wonderful display of the attributes of God of anything that that He has ever done. For instance, creation. Creation puts on display something about this, this powerful, almighty God. I am saying to you that in the saving of one of us, there is more of the beauties and the excellencies of the nature and the character of God on display than anything else. Think about it. Think about what the triune God has, has, has done to accomplish the salvation of any of us. First of all, we're talking about a God who has an inflexible hatred of sin. Right? Yeah, we all agree that this God has an inflexible hatred of sin. And so in, in his desire to show his hatred of sin, he, um, he decides that, you know, yes, I am going to show my hatred of sin, but at the same time, I, I want to show other things about my nature and character. I am, I am choosing to save some. And the some that I'm choosing to save are no less guilty, are no less vile, are no less wicked, are no less undeserving, are no less rebellious than those I'm choosing not to save. And yet I'm going to save them. I am going to um, uh, devise a, a plan by which my justice and my grace are both satisfied. And I am going to do that at the expense... I am going to bear the penalty and the payment for the sin of those people. To accomplish the salvation of those who deserve nothing at my hand, I am going to devise a, 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 a redemption that is going to require me to pay the price of the guilt of their sin. So then what I'm going to have to do is provide a means by which sin is punished and love is distributed. Which means that for a time, the Trinity is going to have to give up one of its persons to uh, walk among men. He's going to have to take on flesh and bear all that which that sinful lump that I'm going to say has done. And not only is he going to have to bear that, he's also going to have to come up with the life that I have demanded all along. So, he is going to have to live the life that they should have lived, And then he's going to have to die the death that they should have died. Now, having done that, then we're going to have to find a way by which that great accomplishment on on the part of the Father and the Son is made real, made effectual, and 
appropriated and applied to the people that I have chosen to save. Which then means the third person of the Trinity is going to have to um, dwell among men in such a way that the people that I choose to save will indeed respond to the offer of the gospel once they hear it. And not only that, not only are we going to have to make sure that they are drawn to the beauty of this work of the second person of the Trinity, but then he's going to have to stay in resident form in the, in the hearts and souls of the people that I've chosen to save so that they can be, they can safely arrive in glory. Do you know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That's a display of the riches of His glory. That's what that is. There is, there is nothing that so displays the riches of God's great glory than by all that He has done to save somebody as wicked as I am. Creation is... is Oh boy, that's uh, that's pretty dang impressive. Yeah, boy. I mean, you know, those sunsets, I love them, man. And uh, you know, then they, they he worked this uh, human body to such that this thing happens, and uh, you know, babies are made, and and uh, you know, a birth, man. I, that really moves me too. And man, that's that's really. And then when I go to the mountains and I see those eagles soaring, man, that I'm telling you. There is, there is nothing like seeing all that, that grandeur of mountaintop splendor and, and eagle soaring. Oh boy, that is, that's really moving. Yes, it is. But it pales into insignificance next to what he has accomplished to make you a child of God. Now tell me, what if God wanted to display His wrath and power in vessels prepared for destruction? And what if He wanted to display the riches of His glory by saving some? Where's the injustice in that? Why do you object to that? How could you possibly find fault in that? That's what Paul's saying. To the, to the people who have asked the question in verse 19, What? 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 You're, you're, you're accusing him of injustice? What if he wanted to do this? And what if he wanted to do that? Where's the injustice in In fact, there is no greater display of the riches of His glory than what you see that He has accomplished in saving a portion 
of the lump. Sinful humanity. Now guys, um, I, I hate to do this, but I have got to, I just got to run down to verse 24. We've got to, we've got to take a look at it. And then I want to come back to right where I left off. But I've got, to, I've got to weave 24 in here real quick because this is the end of the sentence. And then when we come back to this, we'll start at 25. But 24, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles. It is a simple statement, guys. It is the wrap-up. He is finishing his argument against this objection of verse 19. And he's simply saying that some of that sinful lump that he saved is Jewish and some of that sinful lump that he saved is Gentile. Uh, the lump, as we defined earlier, was, was all of sinful humanity. Not, the lump was not just Jews or just Gentiles. It was all of um, sinful humanity. So his mercy has been dis, um, displayed towards a portion of that lump, some of which that are Jews and some of which are Gentiles. Um, that's all he's saying in verse 24. Okay? Now, let's go back to verse 23 and the riches of his glory. Because there's several things that I want to say about that, guys. Um, with what you've already heard, um, I, th- I think Paul is is overcome that anyone could possibly find that unjust. How can anyone object to what God has done? Is, is it wrong somehow for God to have shown the riches of His glory in the way that He's chosen to do so? And here's something that I would, I would like for you to consider, gang, gang. Why is it that when we come to Romans 9... All of our focus is on verse 13, and it's not on verse 23. Why is it that we have tripped up and stumbled over Jacob I love, Esau I hated, and are not even aware that there's this exalted statement in verse 23 about the riches of His glory? I dare say that many of you didn't even know that little phrase was even in Romans 9. We come to verse 13, we hiccup, but nobody, nobody is captivated. Nobody is captured by the riches of His glory. That's not altogether true. There are some who are captivated. And I want to read you about one in just a second, but before I do that, I want to read you from two people who are overcome with the riches of His glory. One of the things that I'm going to read you is a very, it comes from a, a very skilled theologian. He's my hero, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, but just as, just as somewhat of a summary of what I've tried to teach tonight, let me, let me read you, guys, I know you don't like to be read to, but every now and then, we need to gird up the loins of our mind and, and, and dive into something this rich. In a minute, I'll give you something real simple. This is not simple. But in a minute, we'll close with something real simple. I promise. But this is not simple, and I make no apologies for it not being. 
This will rapture your soul. <laughs> if I can read it right. <clears throat> what would we really know of God and His glory were it not for all of this? In other words, it is in His mercy to us that the riches of His glory have become known. So I summarize Paul's argument like this. God in His righteous, holy character hates sin and is filled with wrath against it. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there injustice in that? Have you any objection to the fact that He who is holy, who is light, and in Him is no darkness at all, hates sin with the whole intensity of His divine nature? Is there anyone in the whole universe who has ever lived among men who does not deserve to be punished and to be punished eternally? Not one. Is there any ground of complaint against the manifestation, the making known of the wrath and the justice of God? There is none. God is free to punish all if He so chooses. And if all were punished, no one would be able to lift a finger or to open a mouth. But what if, on the other hand, He chooses and wills to spare some and to save some? Do you object? To the riches of God's glory? Do you feel that that is unjust? Has not the God who has a right to damn us all an equal right to save some if He so chooses? Why not? Where is the injustice? Who has been wronged? No one. Because no one has any claim whatsoever. Do you want to ask, but why are only some saved? The answer to that is that none deserve it. All should be damned. And therefore God is free to show and manifest His mercy when He wills, when He chooses and where and when and in whom He pleases and He chooses. Where is the injustice in that? How can men cavil when this God has determined to do this? Now guys, um, I told you I was going to read you something simple. Here's the point that I want you to leave with. There is nothing. Nothing that so displays the riches of His glory like the salvation of any of us. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to prison for a visit. Um, you know, guys, you know, 
Jesus talks about, you visited me in prison, all that business. And I hadn't done a whole lot of it. I've done some. I don't know that I've done my share. I've done some. But on uh, Valentine's Day, I went down to the prison, the big one, 201 Poplar. And I, I, it's a scary place. And I heard things on that day from a young man who's in prison right now. I'm telling you that absolutely thrilled my soul. Now, I'm about to read you a letter that I have permission to read. And it was written on the 17th of this month. This is not old. This man is in prison right now. I'm going to see him tomorrow. Uh, He's been in prison for a long time. And the potential exists for him to spend the rest of his life in prison. Now, you may not be moved by the riches of his glory. Listen to this. Dear I have done some serious soul searching and man I have a long way to go. I have lived such a selfish life and had no self-discipline. I have thought about all the jobs I have had and honestly I can't remember them all. The money I have made and spent, not a dime saved or invested. The relationships, if you can even call them that, with women. Again, I can't even remember them all. All the deceit and lies and the cons I have done with my family. My family. And I did all this. I lived like this. And I was proud a proud and arrogant man. There was so much evil in my heart. Listen. Why or how could God love me through all that? It makes me cry. I am ashamed. But not only did He love me, He erased everything and said for me to wipe the slate clean. Why me? I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. And yet I am so filled with joy sometimes here in prison that I cannot speak. I can wake up in the middle of the night and have a conversation with the Spirit of God. Me. God has forever filled the void I was so desperately trying to fill with the money, the women, and the jobs. I love y'all. Your son. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're too clean, perhaps, to appreciate the riches of his glory. You know what? None of us are any less guilty than is this man. And because he knows so well the depths of his sin, he's overcome with the riches of his glory.
Where is the injustice in this? Oh, there is none. But oh, is it a display of the riches of His glory. Not just for Him, but for me and you. We're nothing more in a living display of the riches of His glory. Our Father, I pray that You will um, that You will stir the hearts of Your people by being reminded that You have gone to extremes to find a way to save people as wicked as we. We're not treasures. We're not trophies. It, 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 you, didn't get a, you didn't get a treasure when you got me, oh God. I'm not doing you a favor. You have gone to such lengths to display the riches of your glory in me. And I pray, oh God, that you might um, remind us again and again that there is nothing There's nothing mortal about us. Because of the great work of your Spirit, we are immortal. And we will live in an eternity of felicity and bliss. Because you saw fit to display the riches of your glory to a group of people who deserve none of it. found a way, God, to save us, and we are everlastingly in your debt. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.